And my name is Jesse Splann. I'm one of the elders here at Hiawatha. And one of the privileges of being an elder, one of the shepherds of the church, is we get to preach a couple times a year. And this is obviously one of those times for me. We are in a sermon series on John, which we will continue to be for a while. And today's passage connects both with the last two weeks directly and with next week's. They're all part of kind of the same exchange. So uh, I'm only going to preach 10, 1 through 21. But if you feel that it's incomplete when I'm done, it's because it partly is. You'll have to wait until next week for part of it and go back and listen to last week for part of it. So let's start, before we get into the passage, we're going to start with a few introductory comments about sheep and the phrase, I am. So first sheep, we are all sheep. Ezekiel 34 talks about these five types of sheep, the weak, the sick, the injured, the strayed, and the lost. So stop and just settle on that for a moment. We're all here this morning and all of us are sheep. I'm a sheep, you're a sheep, everyone's a sheep sheep. We're all sheep. I don't know what type of sheep you are this morning. You may not even know exactly what type of sheep you are this morning, but God knows what type of sheep you are. Are you a weak sheep this morning? Are you weary, exhausted, burdened? Are you a sick sheep with sickness physical, mental, emotional, relational, or spiritual? Are you injured? What wounds do you carry this morning, physical or otherwise? Are you strayed or straying? Maybe you've spent time in the church, you've spent time with Christ, but now there are other things that seem a little more appealing and they're starting to draw you away. Or are you a lost sheep? And biblically, a lost sheep is a sheep that's without Christ. So if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, and either you know that, you're like, well, no, I'm not a believer, but I came because someone invited me, or I was curious, or something like that, then you are a lost sheep. But there are also lost sheep who think that they're not lost. They don't know that they're lost. Those who, when we get into the passage, came in not through the door of Christ, but scaled the wall and came in another way. And we'll talk more about that. No matter which of these sheep you are this morning, one or maybe multiple, there is good news for you this morning. There is good news for you because Jesus is the shepherd that you need. No matter which of these types of sheep you are, Jesus is the shepherd who can help you this morning. He's the shepherd who strengthens the weak. He's the shepherd that heals the sick. He's the shepherd that binds up the injured. He's the shepherd that finds the strayed and brings them back. And he's the shepherd that seeks out the lost and brings them to himself. So no matter what point you're at this morning, be encouraged by the fact that no matter what you're dealing with or suffering through, or if things are going well for you this morning, know that Jesus is the good shepherd. And he can shepherd you through whatever you're dealing with. So that's a few words on sheep. Now a few words on I am. Now Spencer preached on the end of chapter 8 a few weeks ago, and he also talked about this, so I'm only going to say a few things. If you want to hear more, go back and listen to his sermon on the end of chapter 8, and you'll get a little more. So Jesus 
throughout John, a couple, about seven times, says these I am statements. I am this, I am that. And part of it is, like, it's just the Hebrew verb for to be, and he's just saying I am, like we would say it. But there's more to it than that. If we go back to Exodus 3, 14 and 15, when Jesus says I am, he's actually making the claim that he's God. So from Exodus 3, this is when God appears to Moses in the burning bush and says, I've heard the cries of Israel in Egypt. You're the one I've chosen to go and bring them out. And Moses has all these objections and worries. And then he says, well, when I go, and they're like, who sent you? What do I tell them? And this is God's response. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So, uh, fun little English fact for when you're reading your Bible. The word Lord is written out two different ways in English Bibles. It can be written capital L and then lowercase o, lowercase r, lowercase d. Or like this, it can be written all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Those, uh, when they do all caps versus capital L and the rest not capitalized, those are different Hebrew words they're translating. So when it's capital L and the rest are lowercase, that can be uh, several different words. And that means Lord like we might use Lord, not God necessarily, but like a master or a ruler, a king. Uh, In Star Wars, when they call Vader Lord Vader, they're not saying he's a god. It's a title, like he has authority. And they'll probably call him whatever they want, because if not, he'll kill them. So, which is not the case with God, thankfully. But when God says his name like this, when it's all caps, that's the word Yahweh. And he says here, this is his name, not just a title. God has many titles in the Bible, but he has few names. This is one of them. Jesus is the other one. This is his name. And the word Lord here, Yahweh, we don't know exactly what it means. We know it's, uh, the root of it is the word I am. So when, Jesus, when God says here, I am, and then he says Lord, it's basically the same name. And part of what it means, at the minimum, it means he is the existent one. He is the God who is. He is the God who exists. Unlike all false gods, who don't actually exist. He is the God who exists. So Jesus, when he says, I am, when he says, as we've seen previously, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. When he says today, I am the good shepherd. We're going to see throughout John when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. All these statements, he's saying, I am God. But he's also saying he is those things. So when he says today, I am the good shepherd, he's partly saying, I am God. But he's also saying that he is a shepherd, and not just a shepherd, but a good shepherd. And not just a good shepherd, but the good shepherd. So when he's saying these things, he's saying that he is that, but also that he will always be that, that will never change. And this is different than how we talk. So this next few minutes, if you're interested in this, enjoy it. If not, don't worry about it. It's not the main point of the sermon. But we, when we talk, say, I am. And hopefully when we do that, we're not claiming to be God. 
but we say I am. And the way people talk in English, if I say today, I am 42 years old, the way we speak, you understand what that means. You don't think that means I'm exactly 42. So in the way we talk, that statement's correct. But that statement is not actually technically correct. It's partly correct because I'm older than 41 and I'm younger than 43. But my birthday is at the end of July, so I'm not exactly 42. So I could say I am 42 years and 356 days old. And that statement is more correct, but even that statement is not fully correct because I was born in the afternoon. So that statement will be true in a few hours. So what I have to say to be correct is I either have to say, I will be, or I was. But I can't actually say I am and have it be true at the most technical and detailed level. And that's true not for everything we say, but for many things we say. For God, that is not true. Have you noticed in the Bible God almost always talks about himself in the present tense? He says, I am. Because he is because he's unchanging, because what's true about him now is the same thing that's always been true and always will be true. It's cool in Revelation 1 is one of the few times Jesus is talking and he talks about himself in the past tense and he says, I died, past tense. And then he says, I am alive forevermore. Jesus' death is one of the few things that's true of God, past tense, that's not true anymore. He did die. He's not still dying. He won't die again. But he is. So when Jesus says to all of us sheep, I am the good shepherd, it means he is that today, he has always been that, and he always will be. And what that means is the same today as it will be tomorrow and it was yesterday. It will never change. We have confidence in the things Jesus said because he is I am. All right. Now let's get into the passage. First, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. Let's talk a little bit about doors. Jesus is the door from verses 7 and verses 9. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and in and find pasture. So a question, what is a door for? Probably, hopefully, the place where you live has a door. I'm pet-sitting for some people this weekend, so when I left the house this morning to come to church, I walked out a door and then I shut the door and I locked the door. Why did I shut and lock the door? For two reasons. To keep things out and to keep things in. That's what a door does. I shut the door and locked it so that the things outside of the house that I don't want in can't get in. But I also did it so that the dogs inside the house won't get out and run out on the busy street and die. So a door keeps things out and it keeps things in. But a door opens. In one of the songs we sang this morning, it said that Jesus will kick down any walls that are in the way. A wall's different than a door. A wall doesn't have an entry point. A door does. You can't open a wall to go through it. Jesus is the door. He's not the wall. He's secure. He can keep out the things he wants to keep out. He can let in the things he wants to let in. But the door opens. Jesus lets things in. And he keeps things out. So as the door, what does Jesus provide for us according to these verses? Salvation and pasture. And pasture here is a place of nourishment, 
a place of rest and a place of protection. It's where you go, like, it's the good grass to eat and the good grass you can sleep on for the night and be safe. So it's nourishment, it's rest and protection. This is what Jesus provides for us as the door. Salvation and pasture. And who does he provide this for? Look at verse 9. Anyone who enters by him. Anyone who enters by him. Any sheep here this morning that are lost. And all of us who are not lost but are strained, are wounded, are weak, are sick. Jesus is the door we can enter by for the first time or the millionth time. And we'll talk about, well, how does that happen? How does he provide salvation and pasture? How do we enter? We'll talk about that when we get to the good shepherd. But for now, know that anyone who enters by him. And he says in other places, anyone who wishes to may come. Anyone can come. The invitation's open to all. Come through the door. Come to the good shepherd. So Jesus is the door. And then he talks about others. And he says, all others are thieves and robbers. From verses 1, 8, and 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, he who does not come through me, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Then he raises the stakes. He says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. And then he tells a little bit about what the thief's motivations and intentions are in 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So there's a few interesting and some surprising things we'll talk about. First, look at verse 1. Jesus is saying it's possible to enter the sheepfold without using the door. Now notice, he doesn't say it's possible to become his sheep without entering through the door. He says it's possible to enter the sheepfold. It's possible to enter the sheepfold without going through the door of Christ, but those who do are not Jesus' sheep. They're still thieves and robbers. It's possible for you to come to Hiawatha on a Sunday, not as a Christian, and enjoy some of the benefit of this sheepfold, but that doesn't make you a sheep. Coming to church on Sunday doesn't make you a sheep. Reading your Bible every day doesn't make you a sheep. Reading your Bible is a good thing. Coming to church is a good thing. But to be a sheep of Christ, you have to enter through the door. You have to come through the good shepherd. And if you enter the sheepfold by another way, you're a thief and a robber. Thieves and robbers don't bring salvation or pasture which seems obvious, right? If you go home and there's a thief in your house, they're not like, yeah, I broke in so I could drop some stuff off because I saw you were missing a few things. No, I broke in to take stuff. The thief, verse 10, comes only to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. All of us start as lost sheep. No one starts as a sheep of Christ. All of us are lost. All of us come to the sheepfold, and then those of us who believe, we have come to know the good shepherd because of what he has done, because he has sought out lost sheep, because he has brought back strange sheep. But we all start as thieves and robbers. We all start as lost sheep. 
we all try to climb into the sheepfold in other ways. Even as believers, we want to do it in ways apart from Christ. We want to trust in ourselves, in the things we have done, or in other things. We all try and enter the sheepfold by climbing the wall. And the really scary thing is not when we try and fail, but when we try and we're able to climb the wall, because then we think, oh, we're in the sheepfold, we must be his sheep, but we're not. So this speaks to us as sheep. It also speaks to sin. Sin promises you salvation. It promises you satisfaction. It promises you nourishment, rest, and protection. But sin lies to you. Satan promises you salvation, promises you nourishment, rest, and protection. But he lies to you. Sin and Satan promise those things, but all they can deliver are theft, and death, and destruction. And for all of us, whether lost sheep or sheep who know the shepherd, sin is still a temptation. Sin still comes to us and looks appealing. Sin still tempts us away from God. Sin still says, "Mm, that thing you're looking for, I can provide it better than Jesus can. And we stray, and we listen. And then Jesus calls us back and says, no, that's a lie. That's just trying to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. That's not going to get you what you think. That's not going to get you what you want. One of the things I really like about the Bible is how honest it is about things like sin. Uh, Proverbs 23, I don't have this on the screen, but near the end of Proverbs 23, it's talking about sin, and it's using the illustration of being drunk on alcohol, but you can apply it to all sin. And it says about sin, Uh, through this illustration, it says it sparkles in the cup and it goes down smooth. That's what sin does. Sin sparkles in the cup and it goes down smooth. It looks appealing. It's like, oh, that sin's kind of appealing. It's sparkling in the cup. I noticed it. It's kind of attractive. And it goes down smooth. Usually in the moment, sin is very pleasurable, very enjoyable, very satisfying. Now, Not always. It depends on whether or not you're the one doing the sinning or being sinned against. Usually when we're the one committing the sin, then it is those things that's going down smooth. Usually if we're being sinned against, it doesn't go down smooth. So want to acknowledge that. But that's what sin does. It sparkles in the cup and it goes down smooth. But then the next verse in Proverbs says, but in the end it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Sin sparkles and it goes down smooth, but in the end it just bites and poisons. And the difference between those two, a bite, if you get bit by something, that hurts a lot. But it's temporary, like you get bit and then you're not getting bit anymore. And you'll have pain for a little while, but it's not long term, it's short term, it's intense, but short term. And it heals up, you might have a scar, the scar might heal. But if you get bit by something like a snake and it injects venom into you, you've got that initial immediate pain of the bite, And then you tear the snake off and that pain fades. But the dangerous part is not the bite, it's the poison that's now in your veins running through your blood. And that's what sin does. It bites us. And there are those moments that it's like, ooh, that sin was painful. But now that bite is fading and it doesn't really feel that way and I don't really think about it. But you're being spiritually poisoned. You're being poisoned and rotting away from the inside. And just like a poison, you might not even know it until you're nearly dead. 
Don't think that sin will provide you what Jesus does. It can't. Don't think that Satan can provide you what Jesus does. It can't. We're all tempted to wander from the good shepherd. We're all tempted to look for other shepherds, other sources of nourishment. But all those other things will do ultimately is bite and poison you. All they'll do is steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. There's only one door. All others are thieves and robbers. Jesus isn't just the door. He's also the good shepherd. The thieves and the robbers steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I don't know this morning what you've heard about Jesus or God in your life, what you think of him, but if you don't think this, your thinking isn't correct. It might have pieces of truth, but it's missing a huge piece. The piece that Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. Some translations say life to the full. Without Jesus, it is not possible to have fullness of life, period. You can have glimpses of life, you can have shadows of life, you can have echoes of life, you can have little tastes of life, but fullness of life is impossible without Jesus because he is the life, he'll say later in John. Life comes through him. And he came to give us that. He came to give us the things that sin can't, the things that Satan can't. He gave to give us life, even though when he comes to us, we are lost sheep. We are sheep who are wandering far from him, and he still comes to us and offers us life, and life to the full. Let's look now at Jesus as the good shepherd and see what does that life to the full look like. So we're going to start by looking at Psalm 23 a famous passage on shepherding, the Psalm of David, where he talks about the Lord being his shepherd. We're going to look at this. I'm going to read it, then we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at what does God, Jesus, what does the shepherd do in the passage, and then what do we do in the passage, and talk about some implications of that. But first, let's read it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside waters of rest. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and steadfast love shall pursue me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever." All right, first, let's look at what the shepherd does. What does God do in the passage? Don't miss the obvious at the very beginning. He shepherds us, and that's a big deal. He chooses to shepherd. He chooses to care. He chooses to not come as a wolf and just tear us apart. He comes to shepherd and to care. He shepherds us. What else does he do? He makes us lie down. He leads us. He restores us. He leads us again. He's with us. He comforts us. He prepares a table before us. He anoints our head with oil. He pursues us. There's a lot that could be said about each of these things. Each of these could be a whole sermon in itself. Psalm 23 has been preached on here before, so if you want more detail on that, go back and listen to that sermon. Um, 
I'm going to talk about just a few of them, just a few things about a few of them. We're going to talk about the fact that he comforts us. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the difference between a rod and a staff, a rod for a shepherd back at the time, think like a club or a bat. It was just like a piece of wood that you used to beat off the wild animals when they came. So the club is what you use to hit the wolf over the head when it comes to eat the sheep, hit the bear over the head when it comes to eat the sheep. It's for protection. The staff is what we typically think of a shepherd carrying, the long stick with like the question mark shaped hook at the top. And that was used uh, to keep the sheep from wandering off. So the stick part, you'd walk and you'd kind of like bump the sheep a little if they start moving. But if they start wandering too far, you take the hook part and it's shaped so that you can grab a sheep around the neck with it. And you take it and you hook the sheep around the neck and pull it back into the flock. So the sheep that are wandering off, you use that to bring them back. So the rod is protection. The staff is discipline. And David says here in Psalm 23, your protection and your discipline comfort me. Protection, oh yeah, of course we think of protection as comforting. But discipline, do you think of God's discipline as comforting? In Hebrews it says the Lord disciplines those he loves. That's why it's comforting. His discipline of us shows his love for us. Also, it says of him that he pursues us. Some translations say follow. So pursue can mean two different things, or follow can mean two different things. Like you can follow someone or follow something in the sense of like if I'm looking at a map, I'm following the map to get where I'm going. So it's just like the guide leading me in a certain way. But I can also follow, like follow someone, chase after them. That's what this is. Jesus pursues us with steadfast love. He chases us down. And it says he does it all the days of our life. Jesus doesn't just chase us down once when we're lost and save us and then say, all right, sheep, I've done the first part, now you're on your own, figure the rest of it out. He pursues us, he chases us down all the days of our lives, every day. Every time we're a sheep that goes astray, he's there to hook us and pull us back in. Every time we're wounded, every time we're weak, He's always there. He pursues us all the days of our life. And he does it with steadfast love. So it's not a creepy pursuit like in a murder mystery. He's pursuing us with steadfast love. He's chasing us down with his love to protect us, to care for us, to give us salvation, to bring us to pasture. That's what our shepherd does for us. Now, let's look at what we do. You'll notice it's a lot less. Three things. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Probably not the first thing you would have thought if I'd asked you, all right, Jesus is the shepherd. What do you think that might mean? What do you think it does for us? And what do you think we might do as sheep? Probably the first thing you would have thought is not, oh yeah, sheep, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The second thing, our cup overflows. So that's not something we're doing. Jesus is the one pouring into us. All we're doing is standing there overflowing because he's pouring so much in. So we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Our cup overflows because Jesus is pouring into us. And then the last thing, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
We're really not doing very much here, are we? We're passive in the cup overflowing part completely. We'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever, but we don't build the house. We don't bring ourselves to the house. Jesus says before he leaves earth, after he's resurrected, I go now to prepare a place for you. And someday I'm going to bring you there to be with me. I'm going to build the house and I'm going to bring you there to dwell with me someday. He's doing the work. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Being a Christian doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy or everything's going to be enjoyable. Because as Christians right now, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't mean that things will be easy or enjoyable, but it means that we have a shepherd who walks with us and goes before us. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we don't walk alone. We walk with the good shepherd, the one who walks next to us, the one who picks us up every time we stumble, the one who walked before us, the one who walked not just the shadow of death, but the fullness of death on the cross. Be encouraged this morning if you feel like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. That's normal. That's expected. There's not something wrong with you or with your Christian journey. But be encouraged in that. Don't despair because we walk with a shepherd who is the good shepherd. A powerful shepherd. We're going to see when we get further on, he's the shepherd who has power over death. All right, back to John 10. So with that in mind, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches the sheep and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So in note on 16, when Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, he's talking, so his disciples at this time were all Jewish. So he's talking to these Jewish disciples saying, just so you're aware, even though you won't really understand what I'm saying right now, the salvation I'm bringing, this pasturing I'm bringing is not just for the Jews. It's for all people around the world. Anyone may come, not just any Jew. And Jesus says, not only is it possible, but I have sheep that are not of this fold. There are others from outside the Jewish faith and the Jewish nationality that are going to come. Like most of us sitting here and me standing here this morning. So, just a quick note on that. Jesus is the good shepherd. Rest in that for a moment. Jesus is that Psalm 23 shepherd who does all the work, who takes care of us, who walks with us, who leads us, who disciplines us, who protects us. Jesus is your good shepherd. What else do we know about it from this? Jesus knows us and calls us as his own. Jesus knows you this morning and he's calling to you. He knows everything about you and he still wants you. He knows everything about you and he's still calling you. And he's not calling and saying, Jesse, I see you there. You're really messed up. Clean that up and then I'll get back to you. He says, no, Jesse, I see you there. You're really messed up. But that's all right. I'm a really good shepherd. I can deal with that in a way that you can't on your own. 
He knows us and he calls us as his own. He brings us into the sheepfold and he calls us. He speaks to us and we hear his voice and we listen. He owns us and he cares for us from 12 and 13. Jesus will never see the wolf coming and flee to save his own skin. Jesus will never see trouble coming and saying, ooh, this is really bad. You're on your own. I'm out of here. He will always stand between us and the wolves that will devour us. That's what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd stands between the sheep and the danger that's coming and protects the sheep from the danger, even at the cost of the shepherd's own life. Jesus will always protect us. He'll always stand between us and the wolves. And it did cost him his own life. He did it. He died to protect us. He died to save us. Be encouraged, Jesus says in another place, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's the hope we have as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that our shepherd, one, is powerful and able to protect us. Two, that our shepherd loves us and wants to protect us. But three, that he'll always be there. He'll never leave us. He'll never abandon us. He is always the good shepherd. So again, how is he the door? How is he the good shepherd? How does he provide the salvation? How does he provide pasture? How do we make sure we're not climbing in over the wall to get into the sheepfold, but entering through him? How do we do that? How does it happen? We don't do it. He does it. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is how we enter the door. This is how we're saved. This is how we find pasture. This is how we obtain life to the full, life abundantly, through Jesus laying down his life for us. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave is the way that sheep enter in, is the way that sheep go through the door, is the way that we obtain all these things. Jesus is the good shepherd who died to pay for your sin, to bring you near to God when you were far, to take all of us who were lost sheep and make us sheep who can hear his voice and who delight in his voice, that we don't need to fear his voice anymore. It's the voice now of a shepherd. Verses 17 and 18, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus, the good shepherd, died to save you, and died to save me because we couldn't save ourselves. We were dead in sin, Scripture says. Not just sick, not just wounded, not just strained or lost. We were dead. And Jesus brought us to life by dying. And look at what it says here. Look at how powerful he is. Look at how great his authority is. He says, I have authority to lay my life down. No one takes it. When I die on the cross, they didn't take my life from me. I gave it up. And I have authority to take it up. Jesus died and Jesus rose himself from the dead. Think about that. He doesn't say, I have authority to lay it down and God will pick it back up. He laid it down, he picked it up. Jesus raised himself from the dead. A shepherd who can raise themselves from the dead, how can they not protect us? How can he not also raise us from the dead? He can, and he will. 
He's promised to. A few things in conclusion. Who is Jesus? So the last few verses now, keep in mind, this is still part of the same exchange that the Pharisees were having last week with the man born blind. So they had that exchange, and then, while they're still there, Jesus says this stuff about the good shepherd, and now they respond. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words, Jesus' words in John 10 here. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Because he's, Jesus, uh, in last week's passage and two weeks ago, healed a man who had been blind from birth. So some are saying, like, listen to what he's saying. He's talking crazy. He's a liar. He has a demon. He's insane or he's a liar. And others are saying, that can't be. Like, look at what he's doing. Yeah, what he's saying doesn't make sense. But someone with a demon, they can't do the things he's doing. How is he doing it if he has a demon? Who is Jesus? Is he Lord? Is he I am? Is he the great shepherd? Or is he a liar? Or is he insane? Is he Lord? Is he liar? Or is he lunatic? C.S. Lewis's uh, famous argument, Lord, liar, lunatic, which uh, was read a few weeks ago and was read another time in this passage and now it's going to be read again for the third time. So maybe not for the last time. Who can say? Not I, only the Lord. But um, A lot of people have like said this. C.S. Lewis just says it really well. I could explain it, but he says it better, so I'll just read it. All right, this is C.S. Lewis talking about this idea. Was Jesus Lord? Was he who he said he was? Or was he a liar? Or was he a lunatic? I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing people also ought about people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The reason you can't just say, oh, Jesus was a great teacher or a nice guy, is because of these I am statements. He made the claim that he was God. And someone who says that they're God either is God or they're not God. And if they're not God, they either know they're not God, so they're lying, or they're not God, but they actually think they are, so they're insane. So who is Jesus? Is he Lord? We believe he is. If we didn't, I wouldn't be up here preaching right now. We believe that he is the good shepherd, that he is the I am, that he is God. Or is he a liar, or is he a lunatic? Who is Jesus? Final question to take with you. Is Jesus your shepherd? If you're here this morning and you're a lost sheep, the answer is no, Jesus is not your shepherd. But he's the door. He stands waiting to open to you. If you're here this morning as a lost sheep, Jesus is calling you, Jesus is pursuing you. He's chasing you down. And how do I know that? Because you're here this morning. He brought you here to hear what I said this morning. Not because I'm so great, 
but because God's word is so great. And maybe you're here because someone invited you or you were curious or you happened to wander by, but those are just like secondary reasons. Ultimately, you're here because God wanted you here. He wanted you to hear that he loves you. He wanted you to hear that he can shepherd you. He wanted you to hear that he's chasing you down with steadfast love and he'll do it for the rest of your life. So if you're here and Jesus is not your shepherd, make him your shepherd this morning. Believe that his death and his resurrection save you and bring you to pasture. Is Jesus your shepherd, the shepherd who provides for you, who brings you rest, who leads you, who restores you, who walks before you and with you, who comforts you with protection and discipline, who knows you, who owns you, who calls you, who cares for you, who pursues you with steadfast love and will do so for the rest of your life, the shepherd who died to save you. This is who Jesus is. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you that you are the good shepherd, that you came, that you shepherded us, that you died, that you gave up your life for the sheep. Without that, we would be lost, all of us. We would have no hope. But we who were lost have been found, and we who had no hope now have hope in you, Jesus. We praise you for that. Amen.